Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. Our show today, Drink Like a Geek. First, let's go around and everyone's going to introduce themselves. I'm your host, Jimmy Carboni, the host at Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. So, Jeff? Hi, I'm Jeff Cialetti. I am the author of Drink Like a Geek, among some other books. Jeremy? Hey, it's Jeremy from Schmaltz Brewing and Alphabet City Brewing Company up in Troy, New York, coming at you. Doug? Hi there, this is Doug Campbell from Brewery Omegang, based out of Cooperstown. Ben? Hi, Ben Keen, uh, beer writer and editor, and I'm joining from Seattle, Washington. HRN Studio is currently closed, so I'm recording this episode remotely. It may sound a little different than usual, but we're happy to have technology that allows us to keep making our regularly scheduled programming. We've got a great guest list joining us. Um, we'll start with Jeff Cialetti. Jeff, Drink Like a Geek, it's your new book. Um, I think I've had almost all of your books on uh, over the years, but just give us a, bring us up to date on, on uh, what you've been doing and why Drink Like a Geek is, is, is such interest to our, our drinking community. Um, well, this uh, this has always been sort of a passion project of mine. I've uh, before I really got into booze writing, which seventeen plus years ago now, I was always into sort of geeky pop culture stuff. I used to go to Comic Con every year, you know, before it really started getting really really Hollywoodish, um, and I used to go to like Dragon Con and Atlanta and all that other stuff. But, you know, as I got more into the booze journalism stuff, uh, I realized that I wanted to have a project at some point where I could combine these kind of two worlds, these kind of two subcultures that I've been a part of, and, uh, you know, basically sort of get back into that whole Comic-Con thing, too. So, uh, you know, Drink Like a Geek was an idea I was kicking around for a few years, pitched it. Eventually, somebody took the pitch, and uh, the book came out back in September, I believe it is now, so six months ago. And, uh, you know, and also uh, other professional stuff I've been working on. I, uh, for the last time, since the last time I've been here, I launched a digital magazine called Craft Spirits Magazine. I work for the American Craft Spirits Association now, and uh, that's our bi monthly digital publication. So that's what's been keeping me busy in terms of a day job. So. Great. So, so Jeff, I know you've obviously been bringing together uh, your thoughts on kind of geek and, and Comic Con culture and drinking culture. Um, give us some examples of like Star Wars and Star Trek. Uh, you know, you, you've got some examples of, of bars that have tiki, 
you know, cups with those themes. You know, some of the some of the things that you experienced when writing the book. Well, you know, specifically, uh, probably one of the bars, you know, on the Star Wars front first, um, the one bar that impressed me the most, there was a bar in Amsterdam uh, called Tales and Spirits, and they had an entire trilogy of Star Wars-themed drinks, uh, you know, based on the original trilogy. But they weren't just, you know, cutesy names or anything like that. They actually did some great research uh, into ingredients and stuff that uh, sort of paralleled some of the stuff, some of the themes from Star Wars. You know, for instance, uh, they've got their Return of the Jedi one, uh, which is called the Bright Tree Swizzle, and they use um, a liqueur and a couple of other things like a redwood shrub to really evoke um, like Redwood Forest where they shot the Endor scenes and stuff. So they really wanted to give it that sort of tree feeling and that's where the Redwood Shrub comes in. And then they've got uh, uh, liqueur in it called uh, Shkinos Mastik. I'm not pronouncing that right, but it's a Greek, it's like a Greek tree liqueur. Um, so they really kind of went out of their way to do that. And then they had one called Two Hoth to Handle for the Empire Strikes Back. And they really <laughs> wanted to evoke the rebel struggle and they parallel that the most with um you know sort of the 18th century battle of culloden uh you know the whole bonnie prince charlie all that in scotland so there's, there's some serious um scottish stuff going on in there like Drembui, for instance and uh you know there's a bit of uh sherry in there as well um basically just uh to give it uh to make it more than just a gimmick i mean these are craft cocktails these are not like you know blue colored vodka drinks that you would find at like a pop-up bar i mean these are these are sort of the real deal and so that that really impressed me so i had to put them in the book and you know star trek on the other hand was interesting because star trek you know, since it started 50-odd years ago, has always had an interesting relationship with alcohol, you know, going back to, like, the first season when the little, uh, little, I guess I would call him a kid man who was in the body of, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Clint Howard, Clint Howard, um, what's his name, Ron Howard's little brother, um, but he had, like, the voice of a man, and he presented the Enterprise crew with Tranya, which was like the ceremonial diplomatic beverage of his people. So, you know, there's that. And then in Next Generation, you get to like Synthahol Hall and all this other stuff. And it's just like, and, and Ron Jeff, I, I have to, I have to stop you because um, that's when I started reading the book. You really have a lot to say about Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, and I'm going to try to bring it back to beer. So um, let's talk first about Game of, you covered a lot of different uh pop culture and icon things like James Bond, Doctor Who series, uh, Harry Potter. But let's talk about the Game of Thrones, because in terms of beer, um, the Game of Thrones with Omegang really has been one of the like leading kind of, a, I don't know what you call them, how do we describe this, this genre? Is like just geek genre uh, beers? Uh, yeah, like official, I guess you could call them like IP beers, like based on intellectual property like licensed uh you know fan beers i don't know there hasn't been like a, a name for it 
Well, let's get let's get Doug on from Brewery Oma Gang, uh, and let's just with Jeff and Doug. Let's start by talking about um, the Game of Thrones series and how it started. Absolutely, certainly we can come up with a more fun title than uh, licensed intellectual property theories <laughs> or something like that. I mean, it's Game of Thrones for God's sakes. <laughs> how are you guys? Good. We're good here, yeah. Yeah, but I have I have with me, and thank you guys for sending it over. Talk about beers. I have, and I, I know I think everyone who's on the show will also be drinking a beer. I have two brewery Omegang beers. I have the Idle Days Pilsner, and then a Game of Thrones series, the Valar Doharis Triple. Well done. Um, what you want to talk about the beers themselves, uh, and maybe the process of of making them. Absolutely. So the because you got very two very it's different. It's almost things. like you've got these Be- Belgian style base yeah um so they they are definitely omegang beers oh for sure so i mean uh, you know for anybody who's not never heard of omegang we've been around 22 years now um started by two entrepreneurs who wanted to essentially airlift a belgian dream over to the hills of upstate new york um and dropped us down here in cooperstown um we have been making Belgian-inspired styles ever since, um, and you, actually the beers that you've got in front of you sort of represent the two different sides of Alma Gang, um, summed up pretty nicely. Um, on the one hand, you've got Valder Harris uh, of our Game of Thrones collection, um, which has been a super fun journey for us as a brewery to go through. Um, and then you've got Idle Days as our latest release, um, in which we're once again trying to infuse a little bit of a Belgian tradition into something um, with a little bit more mass appeal, so not just for a Game of Thrones fan or a beer geek, for example. But um, well, as everyone knows, that uh, you know, for a long time, the most popular pilsner was Stella, yeah. and that's a Belgian pils. Indeed. And I think some of our first, the first craft lagers that I was drinking and selling to people 15 years ago were were Belgian styled pilsners. Yep. Yep, we've that beer's been it's been a long time coming for us. Our uh, Phil Liner, our master brewer, was trained. Uh, he's been through a couple um, craft breweries over his long career, um, and also uh, twelve years at Anheuser Busch, and actually trained in Germany before all that. Um, so has a ton of affinity for the style, um, and was never going to let a pilsner come out of Omegang without a ton of forethought. Um, so the the beer for the beer geeks listening is a uh, in a sense a classic pilsner, in that we've incorporated some of the old four malted barley. Which for anybody who's ever seen four malted barley, these days you almost have to go to a Scotch distillery to see it done because it's just not done very often anymore. Um, they've got these essentially basements uh, of malt uh, sitting around, and instead of processing it in a giant heated drum. You have a guy walk through the basement with a rake every now and then and turn the barley. And that way, uh, you end up preserving a lot more of the flavor and the character in the barley. So we incorporated some of that. Um, and then a Belgian lager yeast, or I should say a yeast strain that was isolated in a, in a Belgian lager brewery. We don't know which one, uh, unfortunately, although Phil's got a theory. Um, to try to give, it, it's a Pilsner, but it is very different from a classic uh, German or Czech, for example, example. Uh, there will be a little bit more body to it. There's actually a little bit of haze in it, which would have been a no-no at a certain point with Pilsners. Um, but we wanted it to have a little bit more of a rustic, you know, farmstead-inspired beer, um, which fits a little bit more with who we are. So we're really excited about well, it. You, 
You're my uh, isolation beer. I haven't had a beer in a couple of days, so this is <laughs> really great. And then, uh, so back to Jeff. So Jeff, um, uh, Game of Thrones series. Mm-hmm. Um, you covered it in your book, Drink Like a Geek. You listed all the beers. There's even some uh, wine and spirits uh, that have been made around the, that 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 show. Um, but what about the Omegang beers? I mean, have they done really well? Is is it something that um, you'd recommend to people to seek out those beers? I mean, of course, if they can if they can find any of them at this point. But um, it's uh, you know, I was I was excited when it first came about because I remember at the time I was at Beverage World and we actually put it on the cover of the magazine, um, and this was a huge deal at the time. So like we were always excited when the new releases would come out a couple times a year and uh you know it was always it was almost like a holiday in itself when the the latest uh game of thrones beer came out and you know it was sad you know when the show was winding down because i was like oh i guess that means um that's going to be the end of the line and you know hopefully maybe something will be down the, the pike they're talking about all these prequel series they're supposed to be doing maybe we'll see a resurrection from that I'm sure there's nobody could say anything about that at this point, but uh, uh, but it's it's all good stuff. And I, the thing I liked about it the the most was, again, similar to you know what goes into creating something and not making it a gimmick. They were theming this, you know, the, like the styles and stuff were very sort of evocative of the various themes in the show. Like you started with take the black stout, which of course was, you know, like a, a, a you know imperial stout uh like the night's watch it was dark and you had you know fire and blood that was obviously a red ale and that was a nod to like house targaryen so there was really a lot of thought that went into these and it sounds like yeah, the brewers there must have been having a ball with this great and then uh, let's let's intro to the star trek beers jeff uh tell us what you know about the star trek beers that uh, Schmaltz has made. I know there. You do like you do like thirty something of them, Jeremy. I know there were a lot. <laughs> we're uh, yeah. I was trying to remember how many we've got in. At least a ten or a dozen. I was just looking back, googling, and I had, honestly, I was kind of like, oh right, yeah, that one. That was amazing. A oh, Klingon one, and Terrans Unite, and Captain's Holiday, and so uh, it's been a really, really fun process. I've been. As you guys all on here know me pretty well, um, we had a lot of fun with this one, or these ones. So, Jeremy, did, how did it get started? So, you you got some connection with Star Trek intellectual property. Yeah. Just take take us through it, because it, 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 and when was this as well? Yeah, so I I agree with Doug. I think there's a, a little bit more fun names we can come up with for uh, for the whole idea of this and. Um, I, I love the idea that we could all run with brands, but then put our unique spins on them. And uh, so I actually was introduced to this by my wholesaler in Alberta, uh, Canada. And um, I got to hand it to Vern Rancock. He had uh, been importing our beers into Canada for many years. And he approached me with this and he said, listen, I got the guys at Garrison up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, they're going to do a line of Star Trek beers. Would you like to do a line for the U.S.? So we jumped on it. And um, some of you guys know Matt Polachek, my art director of many, many years, been uh, partners in crime on a lot of the on all of the packaging and marketing. So this is officially licensed from CBS and CBS licensing um, 
was amazing to work with. Uh, Bill and Yasmin and MC really hooked us up with all their support and help and direction. So we kind of came up with the take on each era. Um, and it started with the 50th anniversary of the original series, um, which was what I actually had grown up on. I mean, I was a latchkey kid and it was so funny. I used to tell this story when we came out with the Star Trek beers that at six o'clock every day, Channel 2 on KTVU in San Francisco played Star Trek, the original um, series. And at six o'clock, I'd start watching. And at 645, my mother would call me in for dinner every single night. So <laughs> I was like, I had to I had to kind of bootleg the finishing touches on every Star Trek episode. Um so it was, it was a it was kind of personal and it was professional and and it came about as passion and also opportunity and curiosity um and it's been an awesome project i mean just being able to play with so many themes and so many graphics and so many names you guys know i love the shtick so uh it's, it's been a really great um kind of whiteboard to put our creativity on yeah and going back to the beginning um how did you create your brand in the first place? And I know you had some some set goals or pillars in mind. Sure. Well, I mean, you guys and many of your listeners know me from the years of having Hebrew, the chosen beer, and as many punchlines as you can fit on a beer label for "Don't Pass Out, Pass Over" on the back of a T-shirt. <laughs> uh, you know, Messiah. It's the beer you've been waiting for. Um, our classic shtick uh, gave us a good foundation to be able to explore some of these new adventures in um, language and vocabulary and imagery with the Star Trek beers. You know, I started in San Francisco in 1996 uh, with one beer, Genesis Ale, our first creation. And then, uh, you know, this 23, 24 years later, we've had, uh, I think Matt and I were trying to figure this out. I think we've done over 150 beers, maybe, maybe 200 um, in the Schmaltz Brewing lineup with Hebrew we obviously, uh, many of you guys know us from our Coney Island craft lager days where we started Coney, the Coney Island brand in Brooklyn in 2007 and 2008. Uh, we also are brewing the uh, and took over the, the manufacturing and branding for Alphabet City Brewing Company from some good friends, um, Jeff and Jason in New York, who did an amazing job of kicking that brand off. And then we've got this new brand for upstate New York where we've been here for a while called 518 Craft, which is our New York State farm license product as well. So, well, that's great. Uh, uh, a listener had asked me earlier, uh, he said, uh, Jeremy, tell us when and, and where we can get your beers on the shelves in New York City. Yeah, I know that there's a, a, a little bit of a disruption right now <laughs> yeah, in New York. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's really nice of them to ask. And we, we do sell at Whole Foods um, and at Fairway and, uh, you know, Total Wine out in Long Island, a lot of home D's. Um, we do have some friends at the bottle shops at City Swiggers and at... Um, uh, and a good beer who've been awesome supporters. Uh, we did switch distribution um, recently. So we're back with SKI for the whole Schmaltz lineup, which is awesome opportunity. Their company has grown so much over the years. So I'm really excited to work with SKI. And then our Alphabet City brand is with Manhattan Beer, obviously a powerhouse in New York City. So you'll start seeing these beers more and more on the shelves after this crazy uh hiccup in reality is gone and we get back to having some fun and drinking great beers together um without social distancing this summer i'm looking forward to it well that's it i'm we're gonna have some fun i can't wait to see some of the names that that, that people come up with for their summer beers um social distance i, I want to get ben keen in so ben keen we know you as a, a writer editor um good friend sometime co-host of the show 
So Ben, you're up in Seattle. Um, let's just jump to it. How, how are things up there? What, what, is the same response going on to the COVID crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, like it or not, Seattle and New York are in the same boat being kind of two of the epicenters of this pandemic. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, everybody is doing the best they can. You know, a lot of places have pivoted to um, just being to go only. A number of breweries have figured out a way to do local beer deliveries for the first time, um, which I think will actually be interesting long term uh, when this is over, uh, whether or not um, some of these urban breweries decide to continue doing that. Um, but yeah, everyone is still just rolling with the punches and trying to get by on crowler sales, growler sales, um, you know, four packs, that kind of thing. It's, I think it's very stressful for the brewers that I know. Yeah, I, I would just listen. I saw uh, Andy Crouch and, and John Hall have a new podcast. I think it's called Beer Edge. And they mentioned that that they for the trends right now, it seems that some of the more established breweries uh, are actually probably doing OK because they might have better distribution set up. Um, and that I don't know what, if you're seeing any changes or any comments about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, anecdotally, uh, I'm I'm not sure, I think a lot of the breweries here in Seattle and, and more broadly in Washington um, that uh, are in sort of heavily trafficked locations um, that have a, a strong brand recognition and a loyal following. They're doing okay. Some places have even said that they've had, you know, in the last two weeks, they've had great business with all kinds of people, you know, buying beer to go, buying swag, gift cards, that sort of thing. Um, I think the challenge is keeping up with that, especially when the rules change, especially as people uh, are, you know, finding themselves unemployed. Um, will they be stocking up on, you know, uh, expensive four packs as much as they did previously? And then, yeah, as you say, I think with more and more strict social distancing, I think if people are going out, their first impulse is to hit the grocery store and the brands that you find on those shelves are going to be different, um, you know, than what you can get at your neighborhood tap room a lot of times. Hey, let, let's go back to Doug. Uh, Doug at Omen Gang, um, do you want to talk about, any, you know, the, the crisis that's going on? Is uh, How is that affecting your sales, uh, your planning? Um, do you think that this is only a short-term thing? Indeed. I think, you know, from Alma Gang's perspective, it's, uh, you know, this in crisis in particular is, um, it's hard to swallow. Um, Alma Gang, the brewery, the name means to be together or to walk together. Uh, we're named after a, a, the, the least socially distant example you can imagine from uh, Belgium, a giant parade in which people walk around a city together and, and meet people from different walks of life and different tradesmen and drink beer together. Um, so uh, everything about this current moment um, pushes against essentially, you know, our deepest foundations. So yeah, in addition to as a business, we obviously hate it for obvious reasons, but um, you know, just fundamentally, the beauty of beer, as you all know well, is the way that it more than 
perhaps any other beverage arguably uh, brings people together uh, in a good way. There's even in divisive times that, you know, three months ago before we had ever heard of uh, a virus like this um, in divisive times, you know, beer, I always look at as a great equalizer. Uh, two people may disagree on almost anything, but it, you give them an hour and a couple beers together, and I guarantee they're going to come out the other end of that conversation better than you started. Uh, and now, well, yeah, you're the talk about what I'm drinking. The Oma Gang, the Idle Days Pilsner is doing that for me right there now. You go. Let's go to Jeremy. Jeremy, what should we be drinking from Schmaltz in these times? Oh. Um, and and is there a Star Trek themed beer that we should be drinking? Well, yeah, we're actually right between um, seasons on the Star Trek beers. Uh, unfortunately, we were supposed to release uh, shortly a uh, really cool new uh, Red Session IPA called Red Angel which is tied into the new Discovery series. Um, you know, as this whole uh, insanity uh, started to evolve, we kind of put everything on hold. Um, so we'll see. The The new series of Discovery has been awesome. Um, I haven't seen every episode, but the, if anybody just wants to catch the movie for starters, it was, it was great. So Red Angel, I don't want to do spoilers for people who haven't seen it yet, is tied into the transition between the second and third season. Um, and I'm still honestly waiting for Matt, my art director, to accidentally run into Patrick Stewart, who's in the new Picard series in Brooklyn, and uh, and say, oh, by the way, did you know we make this Star Trek beer? I didn't know if you were interested in anything like that. But uh, we had we had uh, Shatner up, um, has been up actually a bunch of times to the guys in Ticonderoga. They have built this entire um uh, kind of set of the original series. So Shat we have pictures of Shatner. I think I just tweeted one of Shatner with some of the beers. On our side, you know, the beer we just released that I couldn't be more excited about ties directly into Brooklyn, New York City culture. is called Babka Loves Rugala. And uh, I loved both of them. And I was thinking, how can I just make a brand new pastry stout for the first time ever in our history and only call it either Babka or call it Rugala? So we just <laughs> yeah, the Cap, we moved all our production to Captain Lawrence for folks who uh, don't know about that. And I couldn't be more excited. Scott is an amazing pioneer in New York uh, State Craft Beer. And JD, his head brewer, and Randy and their teams have been ridiculous on the brewing and packaging side. So the Bobka Loves Rugala is just, I'm, I'm crushing it a little bit right now. So uh, I would encourage folks to seek it out. So great, we'll be we'll be checking those those shelves in the grocery stores. That's the goal. Um, and and Jeff, um, you know you've covered. There's so many different geek themes. We even mentioned the Big Lebowski as creating a, a drink craze. But in terms of beers, um, it, what about Harry Potter? Are there any beers inspired by Harry Potter? Or what, what's butter beer? I always wonder what butter beer was. Well, butterbeer, you know, I guess you would think of it as sort of a, I guess a butterscotch version of what you would think of as ginger beer or something like that. Um, and there's a bit of controversy around it because um, there are hints in the book that there might be some slight alcohol content to it, even though the youths of Hogwarts are, you know, downing it and going into these these pubs and and you know not getting carded or anything like that. Uh, the official line, probably from Warner Brothers and anybody else, is that no, it doesn't have alcohol in it. And of course, the version that they serve at the 
Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal. Like, they don't have any alcohol in it or anything like that. Um, but, you know, there are clues in the books where apparently house elves get really, really hammered on it, you know, even though they're a foot high, so they probably have no body weight. But I would think that they're... If I were to guess, I think there's probably maybe 2% ABV kind of along the lines of what natural kombucha has or, you know, something like the original ginger beers did naturally. Um, but, you know, you're never going to get anybody to admit to it who is any involvement in that intellectual property. But um, there have been riffs like there's a book. I mean, there's a there's a, res- a cocktail recipe in my book, um, you know, called uh, Butterbeer's Older Brother that was created by a bartender who's local to me in Alexandria, Virginia. And, um, you know, that is a very, very boozy concoction. Um, but, but for the most part, you know, there, that's the one thing I like about Harry Potter is it's cause it's very British. It has a very British attitude towards drinking where they're not as all puritanical about it as we are. Uh, um, like at, at the very least the adults, you know, the legal drinking age people in the books, are always, you know, pounding them, you know, Hagrid's always popping in, you know, drinking fire whiskey and things like that. So, you know, there's sort of a, uh, you know, everybody here will clutch their pearls at such things, but I, I like that there's sort of a healthy attitude towards adult responsible consumption. And, you know, that's um, something that's very different from the way things are approached here. Especially Jeff, family um, property like that. You know, it's <clears throat> it's drink like a geek, and it's it's a really a fun book. You cover a lot of pop culture um, things that I don't really know about, but I've enjoyed it, and I like seeing references to Harry Potter and um, the, the folks that have joined us. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, don't forget heritageradionetwork.org. We still need your support. Become a member and donate uh, in these times, Heritage Radio Network is staying online through remote recordings, um, but all the content you expect in the 30 different shows will be airing as much as possible. Um, now here we are with uh, author Jeff Cialetti uh, of Drink Like a Geek. And we're talking about uh, kind of intellectual property, geek-inspired beers. Um, 
Let's go back to to Ben Keen. Ben, um, uh, is is there a a, a geek uh, theme or show that we've talked about that you're really into? Well, I mean, I'm definitely a big Game of Thrones fan, um, <clears throat> so I would I would consider myself a, a fantasy, you know, uh, nerd geek more than anything else. I enjoy. Um, Besides Game of Thrones, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know if anybody made any beers along those lines. Um, but uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I know that there's actually, you know, all of this stuff to me is kind of like subculture beers. Maybe that's more exciting than IP beers. Um, but yeah, uh, I know that there are a lot of brewers out there. I think of Three Floyds. In, uh, in Indiana being one prominent example that are really into D&D &D and some of that culture kind of seeps into their branding and marketing. I don't know, I'd be curious to to find out, you know, what uh, what kind of geek Doug and Jeremy are. Doug, you want to jump in? Always. Uh, I'm trying to think how, like, how my wife would answer that question other than how long do you have or something like that? But, um, <laughs> uh, no, I think one of the topics you guys talked about before star Wars was always my go-to, uh, growing up. And, and I'll say one of the pleasures of being an adult human these days is that we have the full on bounce back series that I can introduce my seven year old son to. Uh, and it's a little bit awkward that I'm way more excited standing in line to get into a movie theater. Remember when we used to do that, by the way, but you know, to, than he is, but nonetheless, uh, I've stopped being embarrassed about that years ago. So, um, that's all good. Um, but game of Thrones for us was, a was, it was a huge thing. I had just gotten into it with a group of friends at the time. It was long before I joined Oma gang. Um, and it was really a, a, a for its time, 2013, um, uh, kind of a visionary thing that the brewery did at the time in that just, you know, people were so focused on beer making and the beer making revolution that was quietly or maybe not so quietly happening to have a fantasy driven beer concept was a totally new. Um, but, you know, for us at Alma Gang, you know, we're up in the hills in upstate New York, uh, above the wall, as I frequently tell friends of mine that work down in the city. Um, <laughs> It, it's it, it was always such a natural fit when HBO came a calling. I mean, to to it was such an obvious. Of course, we would love to do that. That sounds like a ton of fun. You're really talking about making beer for Game of Thrones. Um, now it seems like such a no-brainer. But if the show really was like a cult thing back in those first couple of years, it was just after the first season that they uh, came a calling to see if we would be interested in it. Um, because the bar around the corner from HBO's, actually they've moved since then, but their former headquarters was um, a great Belgian beer bar that served Omegang all the time. Uh, and they were, uh, as they tell it, uh, came up over a probably slightly boozy lunch one afternoon, like, hey, we should make a beer for this. Uh, and off we went. Yeah, t talking about your, your the original Omegang beers, there's one, it was your double, and it had a red label back yep. in the days. Um, well, uh, yeah, Abby, still there. The Abbey. Yep. Tell us about, about what you guys are doing. You've been president now for almost four yep. years. You've got some of those core brands. So, to, you know, what are some of the goals you have and, and how you've been, so, you know, yeah. enacting Oh, my gangs, you know, our mission in this crazy beer world that we all live in is to, to 
to try to push the boundaries like a lot of craft brewers, but to pull some of our European inspiration into beer making. Um, Omega was founded by two founders that wanted to recreate some of the passion that they saw in the Belgian countryside um, in America. Um, and we very much draw from those roots today. So all of our beers have some component of either a rustic uh, inspiration or something from usually continental Europe. Um, most recently, Idle Days Pilsner is uh, the launch that we'd hope to be talking about nothing but that right now. But unfortunately, events as they will have taken a turn, different turn. Um, but that's that's still our mission um, to bring some of the um, drinking traditions and drinking cultural aspects from continental Europe into an, and, and Americanize them. I mean, Omegang originally was called Omegang Ale, the one that you referenced, Omegang Abbey, was sort of a Trappist-style beer, and nobody in the States at the time even knew what that was. But we've sort of progressed through the styles that have uh, surfaced as craft beer has evolved, from you know uh, Trappist beers to to Saisons with our Hennepin, to Belgian Quad, wheat beers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and now into Pilsner as the market uh, and appetites and tastes shift back towards a little bit more sessionable styles. Great. And Jeremy, anything else about your geek obsession with Star Treks? And the- yeah, well, you know, when, when Ben Keen, after all the years that I've known him and, and Jeff, including having both of them up to the brewery for our uh, um, Books on Tap series, which they were both so generous to schlep their butts up to Clifton Park and uh, do some reading for our locals and our regulars, the fact that they don't know what kind of a nerd I am is, is very sweet, Ben. Thank you so much for that. Um, <laughs> you I, bet. <laughs> I, uh, so actually, it's kind of a fun story. Before I started Pony Island, we were approached by a kid who was at CBS Licensing. And he said, hey, do you guys want to do um, a beer for Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days? And so... I was like, Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. I mean, I get it, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Shlemazel. But I was like, I don't know if that's going to fly. So I emailed my wholesaler in Massachusetts, or sorry, in Wisconsin. And uh, I asked them, hey, you guys got any interest in this? And they said, no, nah, not really. And there had already been Three Stooges beer, which when I first started had kind of, I mean, I love the packaging. I thought the shtick was fantastic. But it was just another beer, and it was repackaged. And it wasn't anything really custom or special uh, as Jeff's been describing, you know, we, we're trying to make super high quality, interesting, innovative beers, even if it has a fun label on it. Same thing, Oma Gang and um, and Three Floyds, like you mentioned, too. So at, when I said no to um, Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days, I said, well, what else you got? And we looked through their list and Star Trek was on there. And this, so this was like 2006. We had just come out with our Lenny Bruce tribute beer. So uh, obviously one of my my heroes and a and a uh, Jewish icon in, in stand-up comedy. And the other thing they had uh, was the Twilight Zone. And I grew up just like I did on Star, on Star Trek. I grew up on the Twilight Zone marathons every year in LA. When my uh, dad, my dad lived in LA, my mom lived in Northern California, I'd go stay with my dad for Thanksgiving and watch the entire Twilight Zone uh, front to back, A to Z um, in LA. And so I thought that would have been so cool. And as we were going through that, another licensing agent, David, uh, from, um, from New York, called us and said, what do you think about Coney Island? So it's funny, like, talk about, you know, realities diverging. 
Um, we certainly could have done Star Trek in 2006 and seven, could have done Twilight Zone, which I still think would be a really cool project, um, but ended up doing Coney Island and it kind of changed my life for quite some time. And now we're back again with Star Trek. So that is my geekdom, Ben. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> and I would say in these times that actually I would say suggest re, uh, watching Twilight Zone because it seems that uh, there's a, a lot of references to uh, crazy unexplained happenings and uh, this this has been a really crazy couple weeks and everybody knows that and I know we're in for a lot and I really appreciate that everybody's on board and talking. Like I said, I'm drinking two Oma Gang beers right now. Is anybody else drinking a beer uh, that they want to tell us about? <laughs> of course we're drinking beer. What are you crazy? So, we are professional. So what are you guys drinking? We've been cooped up all, all these days. Uh, I, I mean, I'll jump in. I'm, I'm rocking a little. I, so I started out with some Babka Loves Rugula, um, our new pastry stout with chocolate, cinnamon, and raisins, and uh, flipped over to our Alphabet City uh, um, Sugar Plum Fairy, which is another um, very interesting beer that's basically in, in an Oma Gang and um, – this will be appropriate for the crew, and Doug will appreciate this. It's a American-inspired, halfway between a Belgian double and a Belgian quad, but brewed with fresh plum puree. And um, cool. so we brewed that for the winter for uh, New York City, and we're still going to push that out a little bit here into the spring. Um, but we also just packaged it today uh, at for the um, great beer clubs. Uh, so Doug Duretti, I got to say thank you to him and. His customers will be seeing Sugar Plum Ferry here over the next month, delivered straight to their door, happy, healthy, safe, and sound. So I think the Sugar Plum Ferry is tied into uh, my geekdom of Lou Reed, Andy Warhol, and New York City culture. So that's what I'm... Well, I'll tell you, Jeremy, you've always been the master of communicating, and I'm going to follow everything you do because I feel like whatever you're pivoting to is going to keep many of us uh, in business for a while. So... Thank you. And um, Ben, what are you drinking out in Seattle? Well, it's only 2.40 here, um, and I have more writing to do. So I cracked open a can of Firestone Walker's new Flyjack IPA, which is a low-calorie, low-ABV, um, but fully 100% delicious beer. And, and Jeff, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking... A cream ale, a Gola cream ale from Revelry Brewing in Charleston, South Carolina. It's uh, it's very sessionable, I would say. It reminds me more 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 than it does a cream ale. It reminds me kind of more of a Hellas, but um, but it is actually a cream ale. So it's actually, you know, quite a great five o'clock beer, if you ask me. Great. And kind of pivoting to New York City, um, J- Joel Suarez, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, guys? Hi, Joel. Um, thanks for joining in. You wrote to me the other day about a new collaboration. Yeah. Just bring everyone up to speed. Tell us about the crew of, of Beer Bar people that you work with. Uh, you've made some great collaborations in the past. Uh, just tell us the names of a couple of the crew and what the new beer is. So, hey, my name is Joel Suarez. I've worked in the industry for 10 years. I'm side by side, my, the co-founder of Uptown Beer Society, which is our passion project, Matt Negron. What's up, guys? I'm crashing the party. Uh, Matt, all right. Glad you came on, brother. We've always loved beer, um, craft beer especially. For the last like decade, I got my friends and family into beer. I started working in the industry, and I thought there was always a need 
to kind of introduce and um, involve the community and all the beautiful cultures in New York City, being a Dominican kid, uh, first generation from New York City, I've always wanted to gain ownership back of like representing our cultures through collaborating with big breweries. And I've put together 18 collaborations to date with New York City breweries, one out-of-state brewery called Highway Manor, and craft beer bars owned by people of color or within our community. And um, we did up with a series called the Bronx Culture Series, which involves a craft beer bar in the Bronx called Bronx Beer Hall, a home brewery, which is now a certified brewery called First Borough Brewing, Beer Culture, which wrote a novel called The Beer That You Ain't Used To, and of course, us, Uptown Beer Society. Um, the new collaboration, the, the second out of three, is um, brewed at Gun Hill, all three of the Bronx Culture Series beers. And this one, we actually... We were waiting a very long time to get the approval from Mr. Softy himself, um, a company which actually leases trucks in New York, and then it's up to the drivers to kind of choose their ice cream uh, uh, choices and stuff like that. So we got Mr. Softy involved in the collaboration, and um, it's called Mr. Stouty. It's Gun Hill's Void of Light with ice cream cones, sprinkles, some vanilla, lactose, and... It's awesome. It's still like a drinkable stout. It's still a beer. It's not overly powery on the vanilla. It's not like a crazy gimmicky pastry stout. Um, it's delicious. It's inspired by the Jamaican community um, in Gun Hill. That was why they made the Borderlight, and we chose that beer because it's uh, reminiscent of what we wanted to do, and we wanted to kind of spin it. And, and that style, the Gun Hill Void of Life, that's like a, a Guinness foreign export style. Yeah, it's style. So when they opened up in the neighborhood, they saw a need to like kind of connect with the neighborhood. So they made Gun, uh, they made Void of Life, which is a foreign style, and they made Gun Hill Gold. So it was inspired by Guinness and Red Stripe. And um, it's award-winning. It's won multiple awards. And we love the beer so much that we wanted to spin it off a little and add some, you know, flavor. And uh, with this Mr. Softy collab, you know, the first one was the candy yams, which was inspired by our mother's dishes during the holidays. This one is a stout that's inspired by, you know, a New York City classic, which Mr. Softy is actually located in the South Bronx, the facilities where the trucks are at. And um, the third one is a big secret. It'll be coming out in the summer, but it's also like <laughs> inspired well, and incorporating a New York City classic as well. Well, the Mr. Softy, that that's um talk about pop culture icons. Uh to me that's that's New York City. Uh, that's amazing that you did that. Where are some uh what are some I know you we're trying to help support some of the local beer bars and and retail shops in this time. Uh what are some places we can buy the Mr. Softy Mr. Stouty beer at? Um unfortunately, Remarkable Liquids didn't want to pick up the beer with everything going on. So it's been only available at Bronx Beer Hall, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. to go. We're devastated by what's going on. Um, as well as the brewery, guys. Yeah, Gun Hill Brewery as well. Um, at least people have been going to those two locations and kind of, you know, bringing some traction there. Matt, as you know, that's right by me, works at the Grand Delancey. So he's out of work right now. I work for an essential business, which is uh, Brooklyn um, Beer Barrel, which is in J Street Metrotech. So we're still open. I'm trying to get the beer, but like it's very hard because they're delivering within the Bronx right now um, for like people that just want the beer to buy it straight from them. But I don't know about distribution wise. It's just a sensitive time right now. I had so many people that wanted the beer and I just don't want to bother people and be like, yo, pick this up. Or, you know, a lot of people are closed or doing to go and trying to sell what they have. Yeah, man. No, everyone's re reinventing. And even I know that Torch and Crown 
uh, one of their their business plans was to be doing direct delivery uh, from the brewery in Manhattan, and and they've already had to jump into that. So that's a whole other show. But I really appreciate you guys coming on, Matt and Joel. Um, but yeah, Mr. Softy fits right in with this theme. So I'm gonna go up to the Bronx. If you can get, if you're in the Bronx, go to the Bronx Beer Hall or Gun Hill Brewery to get that. Um, Jeff Cialetti, uh, let's let's wrap the show up. Um, anything that we didn't cover about your book, Drink Like a Geek? Well, I mean, there's there's tons, but I would say um, it's great if you want to binge watch anything and now is really the time to be binge watching things so like it's great you can get drink ideas and you can kind of catch up on movies and tv series that uh, you've either watched or you've been looking to get into i even go into a whole thing movie by movie of the entire james bond series and what he was drinking in each of those if you want to drink along with 007 that's one of the things that i recommend so it's you know in these uncertain times of social distancing, you know, why not just turn on the Netflix and drink a lot? That sounds good. So instead of drink like a geek, I'll drink like James Bond. That would be fun. Yes. <laughs> Get me through the next two weeks. And Ben Keen, buddy. So, and Jeff called in from D.C. area, Alexandria, Virginia. And Ben Keen, you're calling in from Seattle. Um, anything else you want to say about what's going on? or what I would, I would like tonight? to know, uh, Jeff, if... Either Jeremy or Doug decided they wanted to make a geek beer with you. What would that beer be? As oh. a geek expert and a and a beer geek. <laughs> wow, that's a that that's a tough one. I mean, I I would have originally said blue milk, but Augie Carton kind of beat me to it. You know, from Star Wars. So um, oh yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I would, since I'm a, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan uh, and a Star Wars fan, those are kind of my big two, personally, I would probably default to something related to Doctor Who and something that involves fish fingers and custard. I don't know how you would get that into a beer, but somehow thematically going on the 11th doctor's favorite snack fish fingers and custard and it's that such a good be, beer name too great beer name <laughs> great beer name it's be disgusting to drink though hey i'll um I, why do i feel that J jeremy cowan would have one I, I, option for you're that. so sweet thank you because you know i wanted to jump in there because you know paul from barcade one of the heroes for all of us in this industry along with his partners and his staff they came to us and wanted us to do a custom beer for them and he originally said, I'll tell you what, what do you think about a pastrami goza? And I said, I'm absolutely not making that beer for you guys, but I will make a pastrami <laughs> pilsner for you. And so um, we did a pastrami pilsner. It was an absolute love or hate it beer the first year it was at, went to all their locations. And uh, I actually think that the uh, fish sticks with a little bit of lactose, we could probably customize a little something to go along. I mean, it's it was it was definitely an adventure, but uh, you know spices. We basically used all the ingredients of a real pastrami without the actual meat. So maybe we could come up with something for you, Jeff. I think that's an awesome challenge. That's great. And then Doug, anything else? Uh, wrap us up with Brewery Oma Gang. No, I think we've covered a lot of really fun stuff. <laughs> you know, I would say, uh, and I I don't know how to top either a uh, fish or pastrami themed uh, <laughs> beer myself. Like and. Jeremy would do it way better than we would. Um, no, I think 
All right, guys. Listen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to close out. One, one more time, we'll go around the room. Uh, everyone say their name and uh, where they're from. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Uh, Jeff Cialetti, author of Drink Like a Geek. We'll go Jeremy, Doug, Ben, Joel. Jeremy Cowan from Schmalt Brewing in Alphabet City. Hey, it's Doug Campbell from Brewery Alma Gang in Cooperstown, New York. Hi, Ben Keen out in Seattle, Washington, beer writer. This is Matt from Uptown Beer Society. Joel from Uptown Beer Society, man. Support all those local bars doing to go. Let's keep everybody afloat, the culture afloat. Yeah, and guys, thanks for calling in, everybody. This is a important time, and it's good that we keep everyone focused on the needs of the restaurant, hospitality, brewing, and drinks industry because a lot of decisions are being made, and a lot of money is going to be spent, and we hopefully some of it goes into our, our workers' and industries' pockets. Amen. Um, big thanks to everybody for joining me. Jeff Gialetti, once again, Drink Like a Geek. And thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. If you have questions for us at Beer Sessions Radio, you can email askbeersessionsradio at gmail.com. Um, we'll still be using this remote platform the next couple weeks. Next week, we'll be talking about Cascales. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and our engineer, Matt Patterson. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. <laughs> Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.